0: We are in the cup, that pays team.
1: Did One you... of the coaches came over and said, Oh, they need sesk And we're like, Bruh. what?
0: Who does he think he is? <laughs> like, He's not that good.
1: <laughs> but they clearly could see something we couldn't see. Yeah. Right. And now I'm a coach, you could... I can see potential.
2: Right. <laughs> What's going on, people? Um, Obviously, my name is Kwamzi here with the Backpage. We've got quite a few. We've got quite a few people in here today, you know. So we're gonna go through it. Uh, To the left of me, I do have uh, Hassan, who is uh, currently a Chelsea coach. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, he's working at the academy. Um, And then we also have Malachi. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. You want to say hello, Malachi? Hi. (laughs) Alright. Make sure you you pull the mic a bit closer to you so you can. Yeah, that's it. Get comfortable. Get comfortable. Yeah, because we're going to be here for a little while. We're going to be talking to Hassan, obviously, just try and get a bit more of an insight in terms of what it's like to play in an academy. I mean, I heard that he's been involved in an academy himself, you know, playing at Arsenal when he was younger. So it would be really, really good to, to get a few tips and advice for some of the young guns that we have here as well. And who else do we have on the other side? Uh, Shay. Shay, we've got Shay. Hello, Shay wearing an Arsenal top, that's good. That's a good start. <laughs> um, so yeah, boy, I don't even know how to get into it. But yeah, Hassan, welcome to the, to the show, man. Thank you for having me. No, no, thanks for coming down. Thank you for inviting me, really no, appreciate we, it. We, no, we really appreciate you coming down, man, honestly. So like, just tell us about yourself. I mean, I've got a little gist of where you came from, like Northwest. I think you was brought up in North, is mm-hmm. that correct? Correct. What was it like for you, you know, growing up in terms of football? How did it start for you in terms of where you fell in love with football?
1: Um, I wouldn't say I was in love with football, if I'm honest. Okay. And I never had my heart set on playing football. Right. Um, I was born in South London. Okay. I moved to North West London when I was eight years old, right. nine years old. Um, and that's when I actually really started playing football. Okay. So being in South London, we played football a few times in the cages and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But when I moved to North West London, I went to um, a school in Hendon. Uh-huh. and one of my mates in my class, his dad owned a football team, right. Forest United. Okay. So um, he said, "Oh, I has to come and play for my dad's football team. Mm-hmm. I went to go and play a game for them, never even had a pair of football boots. So he gave me a pair of Adidas Predators, I'll never forget. Bruh. And I gave Damn him £10. £10?
2: 10 10 That's 10 a bargain! So my first <laughs> pair of
1: boots were Adidas Predators, um, Bargan, paid man. £10. Pound. And ever since then, that was how I fell into football. I wouldn't say I was in love with it, I would mm. say it was a gift that I never knew I had. So right, As a right. boy I never had my heart set on playing football, it was more a case of falling or discovering a gift mm-hmm. that I didn't know I had.
2: Okay, okay.
1: So that's how I, I got involved in the sport.
2: Right, right, and you, you say what what team you support?
1: Spurs, oh come on, Spurs. Man, this guy, man, what's this? Come on.
2: So, I mean, why are you bringing these Spurs fans on this plane, <laughs> Come on, come Spurs. On, <laughs>
1: Listen, Arsenal are just as bad. So, Arsenal. Yeah, can't we're, say a you word. Know, we're
2: going through a sticky situation at the You've moment. You've been going we'll... through a sticky situation. Yeah, we've been, we've been. It's a transitional period, you know what I mean? So, so they say. That, but, um, have you always supported Spurs since young, or was it. Yeah, Spurs
1: have always been my team. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is a Spurs fan, so that's okay, where wicked. it came from. Wicked. So, uh, I kind of had no choice in the matter, to be mm-hmm. honest. But. I have grown to, to love Tottenham mm-hmm. um, and Tottenham are my team. In football you don't change teams so even when Tottenham were going through the bad patches. Yeah. Uh, you, That's you, a true fan, isn't it? Got a, it's a true we're fan. still going
2: through bad patches. Yeah, man. Um it's the up nah, and the downs, you, but last season you had a you good a sticker, you had a good yeah. season, I can't lie. You had a good season. We've had a good few seasons. Yeah, no, it it's just that one. No, nah, we've had a, <laughs> we had a <laughs> good I'll few joke, seasons. We were on top of Arsenal for a little bit, yeah, there, yeah, you know. But it's not about that, is it? It's not really about that, Hassan. It's about the bigger picture. Nah, you know what? Honestly, like I'm a gooner, I'm a gooner, but I'm also I'm a I'm a big lover and a big respect for what Spurs have done over the last couple years. Years in terms of like moving to a new stadium and building up their team and what Poch done with their t- with your team was like really good. But obviously I didn't like it, but mm-hmm. I have to respect it. You know, uh, and it would have been the worst thing if you lot won the Champions League, But Yeah. I wish we would. <laughs> it was one of those ones, but um, no, that's good, that's good to hear. So have you got, did you have any footballers in your family? Like, you know? you no. no,
1: so no one, no one in my family played football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every Nigerian parent claims Books. they played football uh, <laughs> in nigeria <laughs> where no one knew them mm. um, but my dad used to play a little bit in peckham okay funny fun enough on. and okay. he he was he was a decent striker all right. i never really saw him score a goal but apparently he was a decent striker okay so when he would take me to peckham when i was you know eight nine ten years old mm. i would play with all the uncles and run around um, <laughs> and i would be good but my my dad played a little bit but he wasn't he wasn't a footballer right right about as
2: close as it got okay um so then you moved so how was it that you got discovered by arsenal you know i mean how was it to to talk us through it was you playing for the school Um, or something or just just random so the first
1: three or four years of my football journey Mm -hmm. i would say were amazing okay um so playing sunday football was brilliant because i was the quickest yeah and in my team i think there was only maybe three or four black boys, right. and we're all quick, but I was the only one that played in an attacking position. Okay. So I just got all the goals. Anything <laughs> over the top, I was onto.
2: <laughs> so you're a striker, you're, you're yeah, striker. I was a striker? Oh. No, no, I'm
1: not a striker, but I was a striker. All right. So um, I had a good couple of years, i cut a long story short, good mm-hmm. couple of years playing Sunday football. Mm-hmm. Then I went to a Tottenham summer camp in Chigwell mm-hmm. with um two players running the camp. I don't know if you guys would know them. Oh. The young boys in here definitely wouldn't, but Justin Edinburgh, Um, I believe he's passed away now, and Mm -hmm. David Kerslake. So Mm -hmm. I went to a soccer school with those two Mm -hmm. in Chigwell. I did really well, and I think I won every single competition that was there. And
2: balancing school and then football, like, you know, being... Mm. How was that for you? Um, The biggest
1: challenge probably came at 15 16 when oh, okay. it got close to scholarship mm-hmm. um time and you know i'm doing my gcse's mm. and you know we're nigerian so is, <laughs> on me. daddy's like go to football mommy's like no read your book mm. so it's, it's like trying to conflict. balance yeah, yeah. It, i wouldn't say it was a conflict it's just trying to make sure that i had the best of both worlds yeah so that was a challenge within itself but i'm i'm not stupid i'm actually mm. Academically, quite savvy. Mm-hmm. I'm not an A student, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly yeah. a B student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I worked harder, I could be an A. I yeah. later got a first class degree, but we'll come to that. So it's trying to balance both. And I, again, cut a long story short, in the end, I ended up getting maybe nine or 10 GCSEs, um, A to okay. C. Didn't get any A's. I think I got maybe three or four B's, mm. the rest C's. And I think I actually did get a D in French. Mm. i couldn't be bothered to be french um (laughs) but yeah in the end i got my gcses and i ended up getting my scholarship at arsenal Mm. but the educate balancing the two was challenging because your mind is so fixed and focused on being this professional you know and all the glitz and glamour that goes with it Mm. that you almost neglect the academics yeah But I do believe in having the academics because it doesn't only shape you as a person, it shapes your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to use your brain, you need to use your mind when you're on the field of play. And I I do believe it challenges you and allows you to develop maturely, Um, especially emotionally. You know, you talk about cognitive development for the players. I much. believe it's really important to have the balance of, of, the, of the two, Of course. so I always promote it when it comes to the young boys. Mm. Spe- and as well, mm. parents always say, you never know what could happen. Mm. And Injury that's not a cliche. Anything, like anything can happen.
2: Released.
1: Anything. Yeah. You could fall out of the game at any time. Mm. You could fall out at 18, you could fall out at 24. Mm-hmm. And if you fall out of, and we'll come to that as well when mm. I started coaching when you've got no academics you're almost in limbo mm. and a lot of footballers when they do feel like they don't know what to do, what
2: to do. all they've known yeah. is football go through depression yeah mm. that's true yeah we'll, we'll definitely touch on that
0: um, um ha- on. sorry um call me um I'm how see when you was like in your teens how hard was it in terms of like the social aspect mm. kind of like wanting to either like chill out with your friends but you still have to go training Sacrifice. Mm. yeah the sacrifices that you made how hard was it for you um at school when I was with the boys it was
1: it was challenging. Yeah. Um it was I went to Bishop Douglas by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um so it it was challenging because when you're with a man them, you're with a man to them and you wanna do everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So when they would do little things like smoke, they would be like, nah, hash, you're not smoking, you know, we'll punch you up. You <laughs> <laughs> need to make it And i be oh, here we go. So um on one side they understood the journey that I was on Mm. and I loved them for it because they respected me as Mm. a person Mm. Um, they respected my values and they understood the path that I was Mm. I was on in terms of trying to pursue my football career Mm. Um, and at times it was hard for me to sacrifice in terms of not going to a lot of the parties I'm not saying I didn't go out Mm -hmm. I did go out but within reason sometimes I would leave early and I'd be the only one who left but I had to, yeah. I, you know, I was on a different pathway. Yeah. You know, in the, when I was a scholar, summertime, I'm training this pre-season, mm. they're going out, you know, they would go little things like carnival and they would go and I wouldn't go or mm. I would sometimes, I think there was a couple of years where I would go later, yeah. to go and meet them when they all left early because yeah. I was at training. So little things like that, they're difficult to sacrifice, but mm. when you've got your eyes on a prize, those things count for very little. It, it doesn't really matter, they're insignificant. Mm. So. Um, yeah, it, it was a little bit challenging, but I had friends that understood mm. and they were happy to almost push me in the direction of football and not get involved in some of the things that they got involved in. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, all right. So, like, you have obviously there's um, teenagers here. What kind of advice would you give them in terms of that aspect of the social aspect? Would you tell them to concentrate on football or try and find the balance? mm I think with, with everything it's about balance, uh,
1: you also have to be very honest with yourself and a lot of footballers, a lot of the young boys today mm-hmm. who aspire to be footballers, I'm not sure how honest they are. Mm. I see a lot of social media players, mm-hmm. you know, they catch the 30 seconds highlight, the 15 second highlight, mm-hmm. 60 second highlight on Instagram as an example mm. and oh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a false perception of what football is. They don't see what goes on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the sacrifice that it comes with. And then also, how good you really are. Mm. Everyone believes that they can play, Yeah, but not everyone can play. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of players, when they say, oh, you know, I want to be f- a footballer, they don't really I'm honest, I yeah. say, you're not going to make it me. And as harsh as it might sound, yeah, I've been in the game and you I kind that. of understand it mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of coaches who are at these academies should be more honest mm-hmm. but the truth is a lot of players are not going to make it.
2: Are you are you honest? side to cut in as well with it. Are you honest to the players as well as the parents or like do you tell the parents as well, pull them to the side or is it just more of a thing where you're just Are like, you talking about academy now? Yeah, just okay. quickly. Yes.
1: So if we're going to talk about our academy players. As a coach, I believe that we have to be transparent mm. as possible. Mm. You have to be honest, um, and that's honest with the honest with the level that the players currently playing at and mm-hmm. the stage that they're at in mm-hmm. their development. Mm. The majority of players in academies, everyone knows, everyone's they're not all gonna make it. But if we can, be, if I as a coach can be honest with the stage of development that the child is at. I believe that I'm not doing that child a disservice or the parent, and I always try to. And I don't know if any of the players' parents that I coach will ever hear this, but if when I'm coaching um, mm. and when I have my parent meetings, I do try to put across the message of where their child currently is at, mm. um, and I think that's important because it it gives them something to hold on to. It gives them context in terms of where the child is, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and it lets the child know what he needs to do to improve. so that's the approach that I try I try to take of course you can't and I think it's it'll be unethical for me to say to a player in the academy system you ain't gonna make it Mm. I think that's wrong Mm. because again players develop at different rates in academy systems, Mm. and some will go on to make it and because Mm. you're the best player now doesn't necessarily mean you'll be the best player later Mm. but boys who aren't in academies I think the decision making process when a coach speaks to a player is a little bit easier to make because they're not playing at the same level, yeah. and they don't necessarily have the same qualities as a lot of the players in academies. Yeah. So my level of honesty slightly differs when I'm talking to boys at grassroots, mm. or when I'm talking
2: to academy
0: players. Right. Mm. I wish I had you as a coach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, like how important? Because obviously, like you've been on like kind of like two spectrums in terms of you've you've, you've kind of you've coached. Us and coach it's like my age, yeah, fun, yeah. yeah, go on, do it too. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> bro, bro, That's just crack man. open the window, <laughs> you know. in the window. Still gonna be in there for another 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, bro. Can we open the window or not? Um, we're we not allowed. to yeah. Is the sound? Let me. Oh, the sound. Yeah, I think it's close. Nah, it's a minor. It's cool. All right. yeah. So, because that, yeah, you've kind of coached on, um, well, you have coached on two ends of the spectrum in terms of like. You've coached my age group mm-hmm. when i when i was like in my teens and you and you're in a position where you're in an academy um how important is like support from parents mm-hmm. um to support their children in in this kind of like um in the especially this specific journey of their career how important is it for parents to get behind their children mm. um i would
1: say it's really really important however i've seen parents who do too much yeah and i've seen parents who do too little Mm-hmm. and i've seen parents who do nothing
0: yeah, yeah.
1: and i've seen a lot of parents who do nothing and the players are superstars and then all the parents turn up when he signs at eighteen, and all of a sudden he's got aunties, uncles, nieces, <laughs> nephews, mum and dad yeah. who haven't been talking are now talking. Mm. So I, I've seen it all. Mm. Um, so there are different dynamics for different players um, and players with different mindsets mm. and different upbringings. I would say that a parent's uh, um, a parent support is is good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's everything, mm-hmm. um, but it is important for a parent to understand the process more than anything. To so understand the journey, to understand what it means to for your son to be at an academy, mm-hmm. to understand how you can support him, and not feel as though you take it into your own hands, you take his development, his football development into your own hands. Mm-hmm. So it, it is important, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I think any any career that your your parent gets involved with um, is important because undoubtedly you'll be able to advise your son better, you'll be able to make better informed decisions, and ultimately it's going to benefit the child. So I would say it's important for parents to get involved. For me, my dad dad was football. My mum was involved at the beginning, but my mum would get in the car sometimes and she'll try to analyse my game and tell me I was rubbish. <laughs> that would hurt me. It would hurt, yeah. Yeah. was like it's oh, well, what you are mom? you talking about? You don't even want And I, there were a couple of times I would cry, I'd be like, Why is mommy treating my yeah. treating me like this? Yeah, yeah. And eventually it was like, Alright mum, stay at home, I don't want you to come anymore. Yeah. Uh, so mum didn't get involved and she stayed out of it and then dad used to ask me all the questions and try and support oh. and even then sometimes he would give me you know once he gave me the look when i get off the pitch boy <laughs> <laughs> i try to sit in the back of the car <laughs> um, okay yeah
2: no that's cool so all right so let's go back that, but that was very insightful What it, that, that last five ten minutes where you were talking about coaching and the dynamics different parents and that was really really good um, I wanted to go back to also about when you was at Arsenal, you know, you're at the academy, you're you're playing with, you know, some of the best youngsters in, in, in the area or in, in the country. How can I how can I say it? How was it for you like going up then against, you know, opposition? What was like the toughest teams for you that you played against? What was teams where you was like, Whoa well, or games where you was like, well, this, this team is going to be difficult, you know, because the way that they drilled, the way that they, you know, they know exactly what they're doing on the pitch. What, if you could maybe give us a little insight into that? Uh,
1: honestly, at Arsenal, we had the best academy. Mm. Like no one can touch Arsenal. Mm. If you ask anyone in those days, I'm talking, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, Arsenal were the club. That was the only academy to play for. So there weren't really anyone that can touch that could touch us. I mean, when I think about. Chelsea at the time, mm. they were good, but they weren't on Arsenal's level. Mm. Now it's a lot different yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely yeah, yeah, it's turned a lot, um, turned a lot. Tot- Tottenham were okay. We didn't really play many of the teams up north because of the distance, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but a team that always gave us problems were Millwall. <laughs> <laughs> you would never believe it.
2: Was that, in terms of like the mentality you're saying about, did you always have that mentality? I know you said that you was confident before, but in terms of Arsenal, how was the ethos around the club? Was mm. it they made you feel? Because I mean, I've come into contact with a few Arsenal youngsters, and like I said to you before we started the podcast, I, was like, I knew uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas, mm. and it was just something he was younger than me, but you know what I mean? Like that the mentality, the confidence, the way that he used to move was just like he knew he was good, he knew mm-hmm. he was better than a lot of players, and mm-hmm. obviously he played like that on the pitch. Was that something that was coached into your game, or was that something that obviously, like I know you said that you had it originally, but. Mm. How was it? Did they push that upon you in Arsenal, within Arsenal? Um,
1: I think being associated with Arsenal, you grew with confidence regardless. Mm. You almost became this unbeatable force mm. as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, as an individual, I, if I'm going to be transparent with you guys, I would say in my early years, I was extremely confident mm. in, in myself. I wouldn't say I was super talented, mm. but I was a good footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got older, I would. I, did, I don't know if my confidence dipped or dropped, but I would say I wasn't as hungry as I should have been. Right. Um. And that's not to say that again I wasn't good. Mm. I was good, but I. Would, I got to a stage in my in my football career where I kind of almost. I won't say I gave up, but there were a lot of factors that then allowed me to progress and push myself as far as I. Possibly could, like I always, I always ask the question: if, if it's something that you love doing, mm. how far are you willing to go? Mm. And when I reflect on my football career, there's a lot more I could have done. Mm. There's, a, there's a, there's a lot. There's, I could have been more ruthless. I could have been a lot more hungry in my work ethic. I, mm-hmm. I could have, you know, gone to clubs that I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to play for, mm. but it's what I wanted to do. Mm. And when I think about some players who, you know, would travel to these crazy countries to play football travel up north Yeah. and don't get me wrong I travelled up north and I played for Wigan for a year and that was decent that was really good it was a yeah. good experience for me being mm. up there and th- prob- I think I was the only black boy in my team Wow. Like, <laughs> things like that. that is different yeah. and Sam would know what yeah. that feels <laughs> yeah, like totally you know? be, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> I, I made some sacrifices but yeah. I would say my confidence as I got older my confidence dipped mm. and then I, you almost go through you almost go through stages, peaks and troughs where you you're really up and then you're really down. But mm. being associated and affiliated with Arsenal in general, mm. because they were the best in the country mm. would would breed confidence. Mm.
2: So who? What types of pla um name a few names that you know that that you played or that you was in the same kind of level with in Arsenal, like some players that made it through. Uh, there's loads. So
1: at the time when we would like I mean would train so my age group mm. uh, boys that you would know in my age group were Quincy Owusu-Bae mm, uh, Sam Oji's a local lad round here yeah, yeah, uh, boy, Ryan man. Smith again local lad round here mm. he was a younger but he would sometimes play up mm. um, who else Sebastian Larson he had a good career playing in the Premier League for yeah, a number it's... of years
2: how was he playing with like seeing him in the academy how was he could you see it could you see I always say that could you see like certain players that you play with or you train with at like Arsenal you're like yeah you might you, you could make it do you all. know
1: what some you can some you can't mm. and when you're playing you're blinded yeah. by how good others are and now that i'm a coach you can see i can spot there. potential mm. right yeah. and when i was a player although i could see a little bit of potential mm. i'm like i could do that <laughs> that's <laughs> not fair i'm not playing why they not playing me? yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as a player you don't you don't see that but yeah. as a coach you spot potential. So I remember when Seth Fabregas came Jeez. and he was sixteen, he came off the back of the under sixteen World Cup and I think he got player of the tournament. Yeah. He came and we could see he was good but we were like they don't need him. How, how, how old was him? you
2: when when he came in? We were Roughly. we were we were second year, so we were under eighteen. So, so then having Ces guys coming to the fold, you're just kind of like he's this, that's who's this I mean? young buck, who, you know what I mean? He,
1: he came in and you know, and he, he was playing, <laughs> and then I think maybe after a couple of sessions, he got the first <laughs> to <laughs> to The first team. One of the you? coaches came over and said, "Ah, oh, they need Sesk and we're like, Bruh. "What?" Who does he think he is? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but they clearly could see something we couldn't see. Yeah. Right. And now I'm a coach, could... I can see potential. Right. Whereas then, we were all about performance. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's the best. Mm. He's got the most skills, he's the best. Mm. Whereas Sesk wasn't that way inclined. He no. was pull off into space, receive back foot, find a pass. And we never, we, we couldn't see that. Yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't see the potential.
3: Yeah. Can I... Yes. Can I say that, like, um, you know after you like left Arsenal, mm-hmm. when did you realise that coaching was what you wanted to do?
1: Good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I left Arsenal at 18, so I, I still carried on playing football, so I've got a, li- a little bit of a journey. Left Arsenal at 18, went to Wigan for a year, left Wigan after that year, went to Aldershot for another year, got Aldershot. injured, wow. had two operations, um, had an adductor and a hernia, Wow. Then I went to, when I got fit,
0: I was out for about six or seven months. When mm. I got fit, I went to Crawley Town. Mm. That so, can, I, do you know, can, can <laughs> we talk on, can, can <laughs> we talk <laughs> on like, injuries? I think, do you know what it is? Um, people don't understand how significant injuries are. Because I always get to like um, things floating around where people say, ah... Oh, Some guys always say they could have been footballers, but, you know, they tore their ACL or something like that. But people need to understand that these are serious serious serious. injuries. That These are serious things that um, that really put a dent in footballers' um, Mm -hmm. confidence. And especially, like, back then, the way, like, operations are done now, it wasn't like that. Yeah, back yeah, yeah. then, so mm. you could, you could get yeah. an a, a injury like an ACL tear, mm. and not even know if you're gonna you know feel the same again. Like, mm-hmm. so can we just talk about how like important, like how important those kind of injuries are, and how um, like support. it puts a major dent in, yeah. in whether you were players confidence. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feeling yeah. Supported. Okay.
1: So to answer your question, before I answer that one, yeah, um, I'll cut a long story short. I started coaching in two thousand and seven. Yeah, um, cool.
3: so, yeah. I must <laughs> <so> he's born. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's crazy.
2: That's it. That's crazy. And
0: that's when I started Huh? What month? Oh I can't remember what month. Yeah. But um, I remember, that's when he was he was coaching me. Bro. Yeah. Was it 2007? 2007. Yeah. 2007. What,
3: 2008. That's, that's, <sighs> what team did you coach, my uncle? at? That's
0: Darren Watson. Yeah, Darren Watson.
1: Northwest. Yeah. It was like um it was like a Northwest coaching football program that that we used to run um and then that's where Sam joined and then my brother was in the team yeah. as well and that's when I started coaching properly um, and in 2008 I started coaching at Chelsea. Uh, and then started working towards my UEFA B. So to come to you, your question, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Um, injuries, they play an important role because it's how you bounce back from the injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, my injury, if I'm honest, wasn't it wasn't life threatening, mm-hmm. and it didn't stop me from playing football. But it was a little bit of a stumbling block, mm-hmm. and I could have bounced back if I made better decisions. But. I guess I allowed my injury to affect me a little bit, and my biggest, my biggest deci- the biggest decision that I made that, or that I felt was wrong, um, was going to play non-league football. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I said to myself, right, I've been injured, I don't really want to go on trial anywhere. I just want like to play minutes. football, yeah. and I decided to just go and play football. Yeah, and, and it was good. It was, you know, a few days you know, give me a few hundred pound a week, mm. cash in hand. Mm-hmm. It just made sense. Mm. Yeah, I thought, you know, give myself a year to, so a a season, two seasons, and I'll be back playing where, yeah. you know, at a level that I want to be playing at. Mm. And it doesn't happen that way. Once you jump into non-league football. It's so difficult to climb back up, mm. really? and and I found it I found it challenging. People scouts and that would come and watch, but the level you're playing at, it's so difficult for you to be picked in and amongst all the rubble. Mm-hmm. And I and I say that because the pitches aren't the best, the standards not the best. It's literally end to end, and it's difficult to adapt to that style of play when you've always played football on the floor. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was that was probably upon reflection my worst decision mm. in football, to go and play non-league football, but I had no real no real
0: person advising me and supporting me. Do you think that the generation we're in now, that the league should go to, like, lower league to find players now, or...?
1: Yeah, I think you could, there's, a, there's loads of good they players in non-league, by the way, sure yeah. so I'm not slating know. non-league, I think non-league is really good, I'm just saying for my own decision-making process going to non-league at that time Mm -hmm. probably wasn't wise for me I could have stayed a lot higher because you know what it is like you know that you know
0: that thing where like um like if you haven't come from like an academy you haven't played for that the scholar for the two years but you've been told okay after this, you might go to a a Saturday teams like academy or whatever Mm -hmm. and then you always get told by people oh go and now start playing men's football Mm -hmm. so people will be doing that from let's say 19 to like 20 something but they're not busting that why is that
1: um the older you get the more difficult it is that's the reality Mm -hmm. because the older you get you're becoming a man Mm -hmm. and of course that's everyone understands the process of you know development but when you become Nineteen twenty. If you're going to be signed, mm. yeah. they're signing you as a first team player. You're yeah. no longer classed as a youth team player, yeah. and not many clubs. Maybe the Cat One clubs would sign under twenty-three players from non-league clubs, but there aren't many of the Cat Two, Cat Three clubs yeah. that would sign a twenty-year-old if he's not al- already established non-league player. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult to make it, but I wouldn't say that it's not good to go and recruit. From non-league football mm-hmm. i think it's it can be quite powerful because if you're 19 and you're playing non-league and you're effectively playing against men if you're a striker and you're scoring goals at that level mm-hmm. and you're getting you know beaten up by you know 34 year old men you know 28 year old men mm-hmm. who have maybe fallen lower and lower yeah. you know down the leagues i think that's that's brilliant because when you put a 90 if you put that 19 year old in an under-23s team, he'll, even, he'll yeah. come to life. Yeah. The only thing that they will be missing is the tactical understanding of what it means to play at that level the movement, and then also yeah. the, the little, maybe, technical te- technical attributes that they mm. may need. When we're talking about technical consistency and proficiency, mm. you know, they, they may be lacking in those areas, mm. but in terms of everything else that comes with the game, especially the dark arts of the game, mm. you know, being able to pull on the shoulder of You know the center back or you know getting your elbow into him or you know Mm. getting your arm across his face getting up and protecting yourself Mm. they can learn that really early which is probably what the academy boys won't have so the non-league players will have what our academy boys don't have and vice versa did you
2: did you get so how was that did they break that down in arsenal in terms of they coach you that as well in terms of the, ta- the tactical awareness or you know how to use your body and things like that
1: yeah i think all, all academy coaches those things are given mm. but it's the it's the style of play that doesn't always cater to the needs of first team football mm. which is why a lot of the clubs well, or a lot of the top clubs anyway will try and learn their players out at 20 at 19 20 mm. 21 right because it's good for them to go and get the experience of playing first team football and i say that's important mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who you are who you think you are and you're the best player in the team i i believe going on loan or getting a feel of first team football mm-hmm. is invaluable nothing beats it
2: so you you you, you like the things like what let's say jaden sancho what he done in terms of going to dortmund i'm i'm not saying like obviously it's the same level what you're saying but i'm just saying in terms of being loaned out to a different league and things like that because you hear some people they disagree with it and they say oh no you should stay you know you should fight for your position and you know mm. wait your turn but obviously if you have another opportunity at a different club where you can get more minutes mm. and you know get an experience whether that be at a lower league mm-hmm. you would you would recommend that you would definitely
1: yeah it's it's all dependent on the stage that you are mm. in your development if you are at a stage where you've not outgrown you know under 18s Under 23s football mm. then I think it's good to go and get first team experience mm. but if there's still areas of your game that need to be tweaked, that need to be developed, Mm. then by all means you stay until you're ready. Mm. But the moment you are ready, then you go and play first team football, because Mm. what can happen is you can have failed loans. Mm. You can have failed moves. And if you move permanently and you fail, the only way you go is down. Mm. You're better off trying to ensure that you are at the right level at your club Mm -hmm. before making a decision to move. Mm. Sancho, as an example, as you've mentioned him, clearly it was the right decision for him Mm. he's ready to play first team football he's taken a gamble Mm -hmm. but it's a calculated gamble because Mm. he knows he is good enough to play whereas some players they see it as i want to go and learn i want to go and learn i want to move i want to move yeah but you're probably not ready to move Mm. and that's why i go back to being honest with where you are as a footballer and everyone has a different pathway that's one thing i always say Mm -hmm. don't look at other players and compare Mm. you are different and you have to look at what skills and attributes you have, mm. and you have to map out your own pathway. And if that means you stay at your club till you're 23, then stay at your club till you're 23. Mm. Because you're gonna, you would like to be in football till at least you're 35. Mm. So just stay, develop, whatever areas it might be, and then go when the time is right for you. Yeah. Uh, think, it's all think, about
4: timing. Do you, yeah. Do you think uh, it's better to, no, do you think uh, it, the older you get, the, easy, um, the harder it is to get into an uh, academy?
1: Uh, Yes, and I think that goes without saying because when you and we all academies recruit from quite young. A lot of academies have you know development centres at six, seven, eight years old, and we every academy tries to recruit at nine years old, Um, primarily because you get more time to spend with players. You get to uh, build a foundation with them, Mm -hmm. and as you get older, playing grassroots football, you're naturally going to develop bad habits. Mm -hmm. You're naturally not going to be coached to the standard of um, players in the, in um, in academies. Mm. So, yeah, naturally it does get more difficult. As you can imagine, you've got a player who's been in the academy system for six years. You've come out of grassroots. Instantly, you're going to be compared with him. Mm. He's going to have been exposed to a level of coaching that you haven't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, undoubtedly it will be difficult.
4: Like, could you mention any of those bad habit- habits?
1: Mm. Um, so, I mean, from a tactical perspective... Uh, I've seen a lot of grassroots coach, and this isn't, um, you know, blanket and judging all grassroots coaches, yeah. but they may not coach the tactical element of the game. Yeah. Um, there's the technical side of things as well, and all these things are down to facilities. Yeah. You know, they, they also play a massive part. So if, if you play grassroots, you might be restricted to a small area, which limits the type of work that you can do with the players and the individuals. Also with grassroots, you might have 25 players in the team and again, you're playing in a tight area. It's difficult. And then on a Sunday, you're playing on a pitch that's really boggy and, you know, it's cold and wet and windy. So in terms of trying to develop players, it's it's really, really hard. Mm. Plus the parents pay mm. to play. So you're obligated to, again, play those players. Otherwise, you, you know, parents it, are upset, yeah, they want to leave, parents. they've paid the money. Yeah. So I think there are a lot, there are lots of contributing factors that, you know, force players to to develop a lot of bad habits mm. and that's primarily because the facilities and the coaches don't have the time to dedicate the, to the players mm. and of course if you imagine the training session they probably train once twice a week if mm. possible you know so um I would say the tactical um, areas of development are, are limited um, because again a lot of the coaches they're part they're well they're part-time yeah. but they just come from work they yeah. come from work, they may not even have qualifications. Could it be someone's dad, someone's uncle, someone's big brother mm-hmm. who's giving it a go. So the level the is up. very, yeah. very different. So yeah. players will struggle ta- um, from a tactical perspective. From a technical perspective, they're limited because of resources. Mm. Even things like footballs at like academies, we're spoiled. Mm. Each each kid, each boy will probably have a football. But at you know grassroots, that might not be the case. They're mm-hmm. probably sharing four footballs between That's 20 players. Yeah. So. And that, it may not be that extreme, but yeah. it, it, it's it's challenging for it.
2: Okay.
4: okay. Does that answer your question?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. how hard is it to become a coach of an academy? Like, like what's the process of becoming a coach of an academy? Um,
1: good question. Mm. It's really difficult. Uh, my journey, how I got in. So I did my UA for B. Uh, Luckily for me, thank God, I was doing my UEFA B at Cobham, at Chelsea. Oh, okay. So I was at the training ground at the time. I did it with the PFA. And my old Arsenal coach happened to be working at Chelsea and was walking past. Wow. Um, his name is Derm- Dermot Drummy. He passed away a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. So, um, so Dermot was walking past with Eddie Newton. don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know Eddie. Yeah, Newton. yeah, yeah, So the two of them were walking past. I saw Dermot, said hi. And it's another thing about character mm-hmm. and making sure that I always say you don't burn, burn bridges, bridges in football. Yep. Um, so he obviously remembered me, I was a good kid and whatnot and he liked me and he said, oh, what are you doing? I was like, I am just doing my UA for B. He said, do you want to come down and do a session? I was like, yeah, yeah. no brainer. So I went down and did a session mm. and the rest is history. I think the, the, um, the manager at the time, still there at the moment, mm. he watched the session and that was it, I went into the office. The only thing he noticed was that was that I was wearing Nike Air Force Ones. Um, and it was an Adidas club because they are sponsored uh, by Adidas. Yeah. So that's the first thing he picked out, he goes, Ooh And yeah. I was like, what? He said, oh, you're wearing Nike. I was just like, yeah, the Air Force, he said, oh, we wear Adidas round there. I was like, oh, just give me so, a pair, so, so, um, Yeah. And, and that's that's how I got in. in and not the rest has been history. I've been there ever since. Um, so don't burn bridges. Mm, number one, mm-hmm. um, you've got to do your coaching qualifications. But I'll also say it's a very oh, coaching is like a awesome. very humbling journey. Yes because it's a long process it's not yes a very (laughs) long process because you will start part-time and depending on the club that you are you probably earn very little money and that can sometimes be off-putting for a lot of players for a lot of coaches sorry and if you're not earning a lot and you're sacrificing a lot there probably come a time when with some coaches where they just they just pack it in and say you know what i can't do this no more because it's not did you come to that point uh
2: in terms of where you had to like question your career, your career choices. Um. Yes, I did. Did you want to ask
1: a question before I go? Yeah, into this? sorry, sorry about.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say. John. Say for people that weren't as lucky as you to like have the people you had to help you get to your positions. Mm-hmm. How would that? How would they do? How would they do that? Like.
1: Good question, Another
2: Good question, brother. Well um. Do
1: you know what? If I'm honest, when people tell me they want to coach, I'm almost like, don't do it, because it's painful. Mm. It's a
2: painful journey. When people don't realise how... So, well, What
3: do you mean by painful, like losing
1: because... or something? No, 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 it's... All right, so, typically, you'd get your level one coaching badge, which might cost you about 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. You would do your level two, which is about double that, maybe three, 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll begin coaching and you might be earning £15 a session, mm-hmm. £15 an hour if yep. you're lucky. Yep. And if you're doing that at, you know, 23, 24, it doesn't amount to a lot of, a lot of money. So it's all dependent on what you're doing as well as the mm. coaching because you can't survive on that. Let's say you're earning, I don't know, £150 from coaching a mm. month. You know, you start to think, oh, I can't live on this. Mm. And if, if, you're living at, if you're living at home and if, you're, if you've got parents like what mine was like, You know, mum, you need to be doing more than this 150 pound, 200 pound. Not that that was what I was earning, I was earning more than that. But it's it's really, really difficult for someone to commit to coaching when you've got other stresses of life. Mm -hmm. So I always say, if you're ready for the journey, then you do it. But if you know that you're not, you may as well just knock it on the head now. Mm. So you have to be prepared to earn 15, 20 quid. And you have to be able to, you have to be prepared to do that for a long period of time. And then to get your UFB, cost about a thousand pounds.
2: Yeah, and not everyone has access to not that kind of money. Not everyone has
1: a thousand pound, especially when it's not guaranteed. And when you get when you get your UFB, you're you're probably entitled to, to request a little bit more money, mm-hmm. and that might look like thirty pound, twenty five pound, if you're coaching at grassroots. Mm. But again, grassroots. You, you don't get a lot of flexibility with mm-hmm. how much you can you can pay mm. at an academy you, you earn a bit more but even then there were there were loads of part time coaches who have to have a second sometimes a third job mm. and when I started coaching I think I, I was doing quite a fair few things and then to come to your question mm. and I'll jump I'll, I'll continue where I left off Um your question was this, the, the decision making process mm. or where I got to mm-hmm. um, so I my The toughest part of my coaching decision-making process came when I was in... How old was I? I must have been about 27, mm-hmm. 26, 27. So I had said to myself when I was playing football at Arsenal that if... You know the time when I told you I got injured? Yeah. And then I played non-league? Yeah. I gave myself a two-year target, and that target was get back playing where I wanted, which I think I've said to you, mm-hmm. or go to university. All right. Um, Because I always wanted to, I kind of always wanted to study and as I said, Mm -hmm. my mum was always on to me about education. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to university and I started marketing and advertising because I didn't want to do sports. I wanted to stay away from it. So I started marketing and advertising Mm -hmm. and in my last year of university, I was still playing semi-pro at the time. I think I was playing Conference South for St. Albans. So I was playing semi-pro at St. Albans. I was at university and I was coaching at Chelsea. And at university, I wanted to give it my all. So I wanted to, um, I wanted, to, in a nutshell, I wanted to achieve a first class mm-hmm. and almost, you know, shatter all the stereotypes and I can, I can do it. So I decided to look at all three and I said, I can't do this because I'm going to kill myself. Mm. I want to do uni, so uni's ticked off. Mm-hmm. So the only two I can make a sacrifice with was football or coaching. Mm. Obviously, you know that I would have chosen obviously chose football and the reason why i chose to stop playing football was because i was 27 i believe that there was really not much more of development that i could have Mm. there was i believe i'd reached the top of the ceiling Mm. in the sense that even if you know someone came in for me at 27 28 I would have maybe four good years to mm. play at a good level. good level. And if I was playing, you know, league 2 as an example, let's say I was earning 1000 pound a week, you know, I said that's 4 grand a month mm. over, you know, 12 months, I said just under 50 grand a year. I was like it's not a lot of money. Mm. It's not 50 grand a year at 27, 28 for the next two or three years for it's not a lot of money. So I don't want to stop coaching because coaching is long-term. Coaching is going to see me through till God knows I'm 70 years old or whatnot. Mm. So I decided in a nutshell to stop playing football because I tried to calculate it and I said it wasn't worth it and that hurt me. Mm. But I knew that I needed to do that. Yeah, I knew I needed to do that. Um, So that was probably my my toughest decision. But Mm. I look back now and although I missed out on a lot of football, I don't regret my decision No, because I wouldn't be in a position that I'm in now. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I still got a, a good journey ahead of me. Mm. So oh, that was that was probably the toughest part of my decision making process. And and of course I, I enjoyed education mm. and I got what I wanted at uni. So.
2: Could you see over the time that you was, you know, you was playing and everything like that, could you see, because I know like coaching back then isn't how coaching is now mm-hmm. in terms of the career ladder in terms of the opportunities that you have for, you know, for anyone or well, not anyone to make it. But even like what the the FA are doing in terms of, um, I think my brother, cause he's ua for b coach as well. And he got on a program where they offered it to, uh, was it? Black, Asian, you know, the BME. Yeah. BAME, yeah, that's the one, that's the one like, could you see it, when you decided, okay, I'm gonna take on coaching, could you see that you'd be getting to this level where you are currently now at Chelsea? And, cause um, obviously it is a big risk. Cause for me personally, when I, when I started, cause I was coaching, I only done level one. Cause mm. my heart weren't really in it as much as I love working with young people and that. But I was I looked at it and I said, boy, am I gonna continue? Like you said, in terms of the sacrifice and then you know, getting paid 15 to 30 pound an hour or session or whatever. I couldn't, see, I couldn't see it mm-hmm. when I looked at it in the, in the future. Could you see it in terms of where it was going in terms of coaching now and the opportunities that you had? The truth is no. I never saw myself being a footballer
1: at the early age I started playing. Mm. I just fell into it. Mm. And the truth Same is I coaching. fell into coaching. Yeah, Because I wanted to coach, but I didn't know where it could take me. Mm. I had no idea. And I never had my eyes set on, you know, working at the club that I do at the moment. Mm. I just, I was just coaching. Mm. And then after a few years, I began to realize this is actually what I want to do. Mm. I found a value in it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's almost like I discovered a skill and a passion that I didn't know I had. Mm. I've always been good with people. I've always been passionate about helping people and supporting people. Mm -hmm. And all I did was use the skill that I naturally have Mm. and the passion that I have to help people and I just fused them together, mm. and hey presto! I guess I fell, I fell, <laughs> I fell, in, I fell into coaching. Yeah, well, that's and, and I love it. And now, I naturally have you know I got a pathway that I want to go down, and you know loads of goals that I want to try and achieve. Mm. So uh, I love, I, lo- I love my job. Oh, sick. I
2: love my job. Uh,
0: you coaching at Chelsea, yeah? how? Or are you trying to take your coaching mm-hmm. um are you trying to like be like a coach coach or do you know like be like kind a of
1: first team coach or just stay in the academy the thing with me is i'm very development focused yeah. so i i really want to support player development and individuals when you get into the first team environment it is ruthless and it is about three points yeah. your life is on results. the line <laughs> and because it's so results based and driven by the three points it's a challenge for me but it's something that i want to do mm. it's something that i believe i'm capable of doing because i believe that i have the skill sets to be able to work in the first team environment mm. but i don't want to lose sight of what my values are mm. and that's to help people so if players get dropped you know or players are being sold, all that kind of stuff, saga that goes on. I don't want to be the type of coach that doesn't care about individuals because there is life after football. Mm -hmm. And even within football, football affects life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm I'm sure a lot of coaches know and understand that, but the game has to cater to that more. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what I don't want to trade off when I go into working into a first-team environment. I don't want to trade off the fact that people are people first. And yeah. not just footballers, yeah. and sometimes we forget that. Yeah. So you guys podcast when you're discussing players, you probably don't always realise what is going on in people's minds, where ah. they've come from, their background, etc. Yeah. Don't know what they what could have happened at home no, before that's they what got I mean. to their job, that's what I'm which is about football. Lingard.
2: players like Lingard, like even like on a serious note, like with when you look at players like Lingard, I'm mm. not saying that he's a young, he's he's young now, but in terms of what he's going with, and you can see his performance has gone downhill. Uh, you can see, for me, I, I kind of look at that side in terms of the aspect of, you know, he is human, he's he's probably going through, we don't even know what he's going through in terms no of his mum and da-da-da-da, but people just look at it, like you said, people are very ruthless and that's not just in the club, that's just the whole footballing yeah, yeah. world in terms of the fans, the, the pundits and everything like that. It's just like, you're getting paid this amount of money, yeah. you should be getting these types of performances, but they forget that, you know, people go through, you know, health issues, injuries personal issues with relationships mm. da, 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 da. so it's just like and the
0: majority of
1: players i assure you play injured mm-hmm. i assure you they play injured no one is ever or you're very rarely a hundred percent fit mm-hmm. there's always a toe a knee a hamstring your back your head or you're unwell mm-hmm. so sometimes when you see bad performances players often mask stuff yeah but they don't you know Do a post match interview and complain. No. Oh, I was too ill, but you know, I still made it. So you guys should be happy. They don't do that. They get on with their job because they realise it is their job. job. And you know, they they have to stay focused on tasks, they have to honour their contract. Mm. And players get players get on with it. But there are a lot of things that do affect performance at times that they may not always disclose. Mm. disclose or managers won't disclose. Do you think
4: yeah. Do, you, do you think it's easier to get scouted or get um, play for a professional team outside of the UK? Uh,
1: ask me that again,
4: go on. Like, Do you think it's easier to get scouted or play for a professional team outside the UK?
1: Oh. Uh, as a local London boy, yeah. being scouted, so an example, so being scouted by, I don't know, Borussia Dortmund as an example. Yeah. That's extremely difficult, yeah. um, it so it's very difficult for other European clubs to scout grassroots players um, because of the level that's required when you go over there. If they're going to scout you, you have to be an incredible talent and then you're probably going to look at academies and. You're not you're not allowed to scout under sixteens because of all the child trafficking laws mm, that are in place. Really so with, yeah. you you can't you can't do that at all. Um, so I out, hope yeah. that answers your question.
2: What about in general? So let's say just like a local German kid getting scouted in Germany compared to a local London kid getting <laughs> scouted in London. Yeah.
0: Are the chances
2: similar as yeah. one has a better chance than not? Or
1: Uh, No, they're pretty similar. I I wouldn't see it as as too different. I mean, every... So, again, the the club that I work at, we have a wide, you know, recruitment base where we we look at players, you know, all over England and all over the country. Mm. But you can't sign any international players between the age of 9 to 16. Mm. Because, again, like I say, all the safeguarding rules... you know child mm-hmm. trafficking and all mm-hmm. the rest of it but you can sign players who are over the age of 16 mm. and that's where most clubs would you know <gasps> you know pounce and you know approach clubs and approach players and mm. families etc to try and sign them how
0: does the scouting system like? I, I don't really feel like there's a lot of scouting done at grassroots so how does, how does
1: oh there's like loads like of scouting done at grassroots it must be. The scout, yeah. scouts cover they, loads they of games. They cover a lot. I want to say they're oh, no, everywhere. I'm that they're
0: yeah. Good, I'm that when I was oh. coaching, and um, I didn't really see like, scouts being really coming come to like, maybe league games or like, you know, Saturday league games mm. or like so do you have to do, like an established like, Saturday league, Sunday league team mm. for the... I think that helps. Yeah. It
1: helps because it also depends on the, the calibre of players that you have. So if you're, I don't know, Sam Academy, as an example, and you're, you're smashing teams every week. Naturally, you're gonna you're gonna raise alarm bells. So people will want to come and see Sam's Academy play football, and of course, as they begin to come and play, watch you guys play football and watch your age groups, mm. then players will be scouted. So it's all dependent on how well your academy does, mm. and or your team, your grassroots team. And if they're doing really well, people will hear, mm. especially if one player goes on trial at another club then everyone wants to come and watch mm. but it, it is down to the coach sometimes to do a little bit of work you've got to you got you to gotta be making noise mm. otherwise if you're the little team in Tufnell Park and no one knows you and you're not winning any games there's no reason for a scout to come and watch the game
3: yeah um but I'm sorry <laughs> but, um but um do you know in like being a coach of Chelsea and that are you like involved in like scouting so, like did they like show you like Clips of the players that are coming on trial or stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So, so the way our process works, if we invite one of the young players, so one of the young players who come and trial to my team. So, if you're, I don't know, 14, 15, whatever it is, and you come and trial to my team in particular, we don't look at any footage. Mm. Um, you would probably have been screened, and scouts would have you know, done a number of reports on the player mm-hmm. before actually inviting him in and offering him a six-week trial. Mm. And we go off what the scouts believe is a player that is suitable for the academy or has the potential to be an academy player and then we'll assess them within the six-week period.
3: And also, do you know, in, like, releasing players, like, is that, like, like do, the, do you and, like, the other coaches, are you and the other coaches involved in that? Is it, like... The like um, the person the that's in charge of the mm. entire club, mm-hmm. like decides if they're in or if they're out.
1: Good question. Mm. So, the, those decisions are made by a group of staff. Mm. So, you might have mm. the head of recruitment in. You might have the scout of the player. Then you'll have naturally the the age group coaches, mm. and then you might have the other coaches who have seen that player develop over a number of years. Mm-hmm. So. I coach the the under-14s, so in that meeting we may, you know, listen to the accounts of the players' previous three or four coaches, mm. and then we'll come to a decision on what we feel is right for the player and what we feel is right for the club. Because sometimes you can keep a player and he's probably never going to make it, mm. or he's never going to get the scholarship at the club. So then it might be best for you to say, you know what, For the benefit of the player he should kind of go Mm. and then of course we have to then try and not sell it to the parents but we have to be honest and transparent with them Mm. Um, so yeah the decision-making process is often made with a number of staff who have worked with a player and not in isolation it's just a single member of staff
4: do you believe in open trials
1: yes Um, and at our club we do do open trials and when I say open trials it's not a free-for-all <laughs> where anyone can just, it's not anyone people, can people just turn up. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> this otherwise, as you can imagine, as Chelsea, we'll get a thousand kids turn up. So a lot of our scouts, again, because we've got a good scouting base, good scouting mm. network, they're, they're looking at players and watching them, etc. They would, um, once they've shortlisted some of the ones that we feel, you know, should come and attend the trial because they're at a good standard, mm. our scouts would probably approach them and invite them in and then they would attend the trial. So we might cap it at maybe 40 players, but we'd never just have an open trial anyone can turn up.
2: Yeah. Wow. Got any more questions? Mm-hmm. We've got some really good
3: uh, questions here. Keep them up. Do you know, as an academy coach, mm-hmm. could like, like um, don't want to explain it, but like, say, because you're an academy coach and the team was like the first team coach, mm-hmm. could you become the first team coach somehow like how would what, that happen? Do you have to be, like, the top coach and like, the, like, highest year group and, like, be, like, the best and then once the man just gone and they think you're good enough, they just put you in? Like, what happens? Like, does the chairman come to you and go, like, with the coach now or something like that? Like, what happens?
1: It's a good, good question. Um, A coach's pathway differs. Every coach's pathway differs. As you can imagine, there are quite a number of coaches at different clubs, loads of different academy coaches, and there's only one first team job. So everyone can't get that job, mm. and everyone can't get the youth team job, and everyone can't get the under-23s job. Mm. So it's, it's biding your time, and this is why I say football football coaching is all about patience. Mm, yeah. And as long as it might take you to get, in, get to a stage where you're not earning 15 pound a session, mm. it takes just as long to, for you to get for you to get from being an academy coach to a first team coach. Mm. So it's it's not as simple as you know the, the chairman sees you and says, right, we're getting rid of you know Jose Mourinho and now you're in. <laughs> I wish it worked that way, <laughs> but it doesn't. There's always a screening process in terms of, is he the right fit? Is he the one to galvanise the players? Can he relate to the players? What experiences he got? Um, will he be able to handle all the other bits that come with You know, being the football coach, being the Mm. front of the club, Mm. being the face of the club. Sorry, Mm -hmm. so loads of different components are taken into consideration. But if you pray hard for me, you never know, (laughs) and then I'll sign you. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Uh, I also got, I think, two more questions. Go on. Um, um, number one, like, does the club choose what playing style you play? So, like, say Chelsea, the professional team plays Mm -hmm. possession-based. Does that mean that um, the the academy has to play possession plays?
1: I like your questions. So we tend not to entirely follow the style that the first team play, not because we don't like it. Naturally, the first team have an influence on how we play. So, you know when. Conte was in charge. Conte liked to play 3-5-2 at the Mm -hmm. back. uh, 3-5-2 formation, played three at the the back. When Mourinho first came to the club, he played in a 4-3-3 formation. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, a lot of English football was very Mm 4-4-2. So naturally there is an influence, but we have what we call our principles of play, which look like the first team. So things like our shape playing out from the back, um, our shape playing through midfield, um, what we look like in attacking phases, and then it's the skill of the coach to try and bring it all together. Mm. So we'll have, you know, all our principles, and then the coach will have his skill sets. And it's up to the coach to adapt those principles. So the principles are the framework of how we play, and then it's up to the coach to play mm. whatever formation that he would like to, as long as it's not stupid. Mm. It's so not want, a silly have foundation.
0: you spoken to Have you like <laughs> in, in your, your training sessions or
1: spoken to you? Yeah. So. At chelsea we're, we're really we have a really close bond as a group of staff right. um we we do call ourselves a family and we don't say that as a, as a cliche and there's with frank at the helm it's been quite an integrated and transparent approach and naturally because we've got coaches over there that have come from the academy mm. so that helps mm. so that we don't have the divide mm-hmm. so in a sense Yes, we have a, a good integrated approach and Frank has spoken to the staff and he, he's quite open with how he's been, which is really, really powerful. Mm. And for a lot of the young coaches, that's invaluable like yeah, yeah, right? yeah. to have someone like Frank regard you or, you know, we're walking no, yes, down a yeah, corridor, yeah. walking around a training ground. And, you know, there's high fives and handshakes and yeah. people stop for conversations. Those things are really, really good. Has it, in always, terms been, of has it always been like
2: that for you? Um, as in, when you was working in Chelsea, like you mentioned, that like Conte, Mourinho, was that environment always the Chelsea way? Or is it now you've noticed it a lot more since Frank has come in? Because obviously he's gone, mm. you know, he's a Chelsea boy, more or less.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's a Chelsea boy. It, I think it's the way with every academy. Mm. Every academy... You, your aim and your goal is to try and bridge the gap between the academy and the first team, which is really, really important because it gives the players something to aspire Look towards. To yeah, you know, when the players don't feel it's too far away and it's within reach, mm. then they're more inclined to work towards reaching that goal. So it, I think it's the intention for everyone, mm. but at the same time, we have to remember that if you're the first team coach, mm you know you've got a job. Mm. You might only be in this job for three or four months. Mm. And you guys who discuss coaches, podcasts and all the rest of mm. it, like is coming at Tottenham as an example, or whoever, it could, it could be anyone. Yeah. Um, you've got a job to do. Nigel Pearson's coming, or yeah, the, we'll the, the best one is probably Duncan Ferguson. He's no, coming, he's got a job to do. Yeah. So he's not thinking about, what's his name that he took off?
0: Oh, he- he. He's yeah. not
1: thinking about Maurice Keene yeah. and how he feels. Yeah. He's doing his job. So, yes, Big Dunk is, you know, an Everton boy through and through. Mm. But sometimes I, I often think about how the first team coach feels and the pressure that he's under. So and if it's so results-driven, yeah. I don't care about the 17-year-old. I don't care yeah. about watching the 17s. So, I need to get the team over the line, otherwise I'm out of a job. I'm getting then, sacked.
2: When you look at, like, Lampard now... So I get it, I understand. Mm, when you look at Lampard now and obviously, like... He's bringing through the youth, or you know, like Callum Hudson-Odoi and things like that. He's looked, to me, it seems he's looking at the the youngsters. Is that I say, like you're saying that the majority of managers or first team coaches they don't have time. But is that something that makes him stand out or helps him stand out? The fact that he's given the likes of Tammy Abraham and these people. Like, oh, a undoubtedly, chance,
1: undoubtedly. You know? I think with Frank, he he's expressed extreme humility, and I'm sure you can see from his pre and post match interviews. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then naturally, you can see from his team selection yeah. and Chelsea still getting results. Yeah. Results are still being achieved, the players are playing, the fans are happy, mm. there's an integrated approach, mm. there's, a, there's a stronger feel within, within the club. Mm. So yeah, playing those players is, is, is important, you know? mm. seeing those young players, especially as academy coaches. That's that's awesome. It makes it all worth
2: it. Did you work? Yeah, literally about to ask that as well.
1: Yeah. So as you can imagine, I've been at Chelsea since two thousand and twelve. So Absolutely. a large majority. I'm not claiming that I, <laughs> you know, I'm the reason they made it.
0: You know, let that go on record. Um,
1: but no, you know, I I have coached pretty much maybe all the boys in the first team apart from Ruben Loftus Cheek because Ruben is slightly old. So when I came in 2008, I started with the under 11s. Tammy's age group is actually my first age group. So yeah. So yeah, Tammy and Fikaya, they were my first age group. Were
2: they that good? Could you just, you know, like how you say you yeah, can see?
1: They, they, they were good players and, and you can see that. What made them?
2: What was that thing that the Juno ne the, 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 the dust, mm. the golden? Sava? <laughs> <laughs> um What was it about them like? In terms of like, I'm am speaking, I'm trying to speak for the youngsters as well. Something a talent or quality that they possessed at that age. Um,
1: I think firstly they're talented. Mm. That, that's that's the most important. And then secondly, they're willing to work hard. Mm. They they didn't take their opportunity for granted. And I was I was privileged to coach them at under 11s and under 13s, mm. and they were talented. Mm. They worked their socks off. Mm. And they're good people as well. Mm. They're good kids, kids who who listened, kids who wanted to learn, and kids who never stopped working. Mm. And as I say, they were talented as well. Mm. So mm. when you have the when you have that, mm. that's that's a recipe for success in itself. Mm. Uh, mm.
4: Let's say you were walking one day, and then after you saw like uh, a player mm-hmm. um, of any age, yeah. And then after, would you? Is it a matter of fact that you'll go to and talk to them um, that you like this player, you want him to come down or would you get a scout to watch one of their matches?
1: Good question. I'd probably do the latter. So if I saw a player and if he was outstanding, then I'm, I believe that I'm in a position to make a, a sound enough judgment to say, look, let's get him in. However, there are still processes in place and it's likely that I will just get the scout rather than jump at the opportunity to bring him in. Probably get a scout to come and have a look, mm. um, just to ensure that, you know, my decision-making process is right, we follow a protocol, mm. and then maybe invite the player in. Mm. If he oh, was that good.
3: Sorry. That's right Do um, you know, for academy football, can you, like, buy players So like, say you play for Arsenal, mm-hmm. can, like, Tottenham buy you, like, for, like, 50 pounds or something. 50 thing. pounds? Wow. Know. All the clubs would be out if it was 50 pounds. No, because um, like you're young, so you don't know, I don't know how much.
1: Yeah, you know. so um, players can move to other clubs, but you have to pay a compensation. So it's almost like a development compensation that you would pay oh. for a player. So often um, when players are are at the point where they're being offered or extended registration, if you know, the the club and the player decide, you know, maybe this isn't quite right, but the club want to keep the player. It's at the club's discretion if they want to let the player go, but they often come to an agreement and, you know, if the player wants to move on, more often than not, the club won't stand in their their way, but there is often a a compensation package that that will be due. But whilst the child is is in his registration period, so he's at the club. And, and he's in his first season, as an example, in his first season, whatever it is, and they're not at the point of renewing registration. Um, again, it's dependent on the agreement between the player's family and the club, and doing what's right by the player. Do
4: you think it's better to start at like a lower academy, then go and work your way up? Like what I mean that is like start your way off at like Barnet and then work your way up to like United, Arsenal, those type of teams.
1: Um. If you've got the opportunity to go to a top academy I would say you take it because you will benefit from the coaching at an earlier stage in your development. Um, but if you're at a Barnet as an example there's no reason why you still can't be a footballer and it'll be good to actually look at the stats of players who play in the top leagues, how many of them came from top academies and how many of them actually came from you know, the cat- Cat 3, or Cat 2, Cat 3 clubs, mm. and even so, uh, School of Excellences. So there's different pathways in football. Mm. Like we had the chat about non league football, you can still make it as a professional. And if you're at Barnet, 110% you can make it as a professional. Mm. You know, and it depends on how good you are and how determined and focused you are. Mm. That determines the level that you may potentially play at. Of course, there's you know a lot of variables, mm. but you can still make it to the Premier League if you're playing at Barnet, 110%. Mm. You see, with
2: no some really good questions, boys. Honestly, um, in terms of, I us to go back to your academy. In terms of, you know, the boys that you have now, and the, the era that we're living in now, you know, in terms of social media, you know, uh, Snapchat, etc., etc. What is your message? To your players, because we when we was coming up, we didn't have those kind of distractions or it wasn't that accessi- as uh-huh. accessible, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So what do you, do you talk to them about it? Does the club talk to them about it in terms of the, yeah. the do's and don'ts, yeah. the must and must nots? Um, players are well educated now, mm. um, and we have a
1: really good life skills and social development programme where we discuss a lot of these issues, mm. um, or challenges rather. And you try and equip the boys with, you know, every tool necessary to make it. Mm. Um, you educate them and then it's up to them to make their own decisions. Mm. We, can't, we can't hold their hand. We can only educate. Mm. And once, you, once you've done that piece, mm. I think it's down to them and down to the parents. Mm. to then, you know, guide their, their son in the direction mm-hmm. that is right and beneficial for his development. Mm. So we, we try and be honest with, with players and parents. Mm. And then we also try and make sure that we educate them.
2: Okay. Um uh, oh. go, go, go on, go
3: on. Oh, do you know how like uh do you know how to become a professional coach? hmm Like do you know how to do that, like?
1: How to become a professional coach? Yeah. So as I said, you gotta get your coaching qualification. So your level one, your level two, your UA for B, your UA for A, um and then there are a few other FA coaches in between that help to help you to shape your understanding of child development from a psychological perspective, Mm -hmm. and also to almost give you a well-rounded understanding of the other side of football, which is the physical development. Mm -hmm. So everyone focuses on just the football, just the technical, but there are other elements to it as well. So once you complete these badges or these qualifications, you're kind of on the right pathway, but you need to get started. Mm -hmm. And then as I said earlier, you need to ensure that once you do get started, you're sure that this is your goal. You're sure that this is what I want to do. Because there will come times when you're not earning a lot of money or opportunities are very thin or very short, Um, you have to be willing to to
2: suck it up and get through it. So now we've come to the point where we're coming to the end of the show, unfortunately, but you know what? It's been very, very insightful. Yeah, (laughs) go, go, go. I was gonna ask him a question
3: still. Oh Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna
2: say I was gonna ask him a question. I was just saying now you just come on to becoming a professional coach. What is your end goal? Now I know you said that you've given you were saying throughout your journey you've given yourself targets, two year targets, you've mm-hmm. broken it down. What is your ultimate goal for you? I wanna work in a first team environment. Mm-hmm.
1: Um I believe I'm I'm skilled enough to do so. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's my that's my that's my goal. Mm-hmm. My goal is to be in that first team environment, to, to coach a first team, and then see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. Long term, I do want to. I want to. I want to do a lot of work in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I want to open my own academy there. Mm-hmm. And Actually, that's that, those are my roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to. I want to give back and I want to support development in Nigeria. And I do a little bit when I go over there now. So. The little things like taking boots and pads all the mm-hmm. rest of it mm-hmm. i've got a couple of guys over there that i work with and it's really powerful when you see those kids and they're so receptive to mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that yeah. I take over um and then i also did a program last year um, with Lagos FA, so like oh. a coach development program. Okay. So we had about you know fifteen or sixteen of the local coaches, mm-hmm. and I, I put on a couple of sessions for them, and then I gave them tasks, and they put on sessions, mm-hmm. and we we assessed and analyzed each session, almost like a like an FA course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that, that was different. Yeah. That was different. Again, you talk about facilities, you're mm. talking about you know, language barrier, Mm -hmm. you're talking about tactical understanding. Mm -hmm. Some get it, some don't. Mm. And they look at me, ah, this English boy. (laughs) So, you know, all all that stuff you take into consideration. But I loved it because I'm giving to people who have nothing. They have nothing. And that stuff is probably more powerful than working with some of the boys and people over here who have everything Mm. because you're you're really adding value. Mm. So here you might think, you know, we're doing a good job over there you're giving them a life-changing experience yeah and they're grateful for something
2: they'll never ever ever forget yeah
1: so i want i want to work in a first team environment Mm -hmm. and i definitely want to continue the work that i do not just nigeria but if i can expand in africa then i would love to anything to make an impact and to change lives that's that's what i'm about Um, let's
2: say
4: let's say your player let's say like a player was over over 16 in so like, yeah. Yeah. Let's say a player was over sixteen in like Nigeria. Uh-huh. Uh, are you most likely, and you have shown that he you've seen that he's good, and you're um, you're trying to like progress with him. Are you most likely going to bring him to London?
1: It is quite complex to sign African players at that age because you need things like work permits. So I would love to in an ideal world, but it is quite complex. So. <sighs> It's a, I guess it's, if you see a talented boy and you can give him a life-changing opportunity to come to England, then of course, I would, mm. be, I would be silly not to try and support and help that player. But if he could go to another another country to go and play football, then naturally, of course, I would love to try and help wherever I could.
2: We're trying to catch a flight to Nigeria quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, aside from football,
0: you said that you're a Tottenham fan, how do you think Tottenham is doing?
4: Ooh! Are well, you actually going to ask him about that? Um. Yeah, we yeah, have
0: Mourinho in charge, and even if we mess their post, perspective,
1: I'll do it. It's hard to separate professionalism and emotion. <laughs> As I, if I speak from emotion, I have no comment. <laughs>
2: that,
0: speak that from emotion.
1: <laughs> I have no comment, um, because Tottenham were in a good place. Mm. The season didn't go the best at the start with with Poch, but Jose is coming and let's call it a spade a spade. You can't you can't disrespect Jose Mourinho mm. with all his accolades and what he's achieved. How dare you? Mm. Do you know what I mean. So I I dare not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Mourinho be Mourinho. He need, he needs a bit of time, mm. um, and we all know he's probably gonna sign a good few players come the summer. So I'm intrigued to see what, what Tottenham will be like probably more next season. I think this season, they're going to try and get through it and just finish as high as you can. Of course, Tottenham, I can only imagine Tottenham would want to finish in the top four because they have done for the previous seasons and they did really well in the Champions League last year. Although, disappointed to lose in the way that they did I naturally. Yeah, Liverpool. Um, <laughs> dubious penalty. Um, <laughs> which ruined the game by the way but um, <laughs> nah naturally Tottenham will want to finish in the top four which I'm sure you're all aware of
2: what, I wanted to ask this question if you could pick one coach to spend a day with and learn from who would it be and why yep. coach or manager um, that's a good question
1: I think the name on everyone's lips would has to be Pep mm. or has to be Klopp because mm. Klopp is the man at the moment.
2: I think he is. Yes, um, he is good. <laughs> no, he's good. Psychologically, no, no, no. It's true. It's Liverpool true. Liverpool it's true. Out. Nah, let's no, no,
1: call a spade a spade. And everyone's gonna want to <clears> be with Pep and and Klopp because <gasps> they are they are the best. But I'm probably being biased because. I live in England and I watch the Premier League and I don't watch a lot of the other leagues. So, mm. in terms of looking at what, looking at what the other managers like in Germany and Spain, etc., mm-hmm. we're not we're not too we're not too, I guess, knowledgeable. Yeah, and of if, what they're like. But Klopp and Pep, hundred and ten percent.
2: And if there was one academy you could go to in the world and learn for a day, who, what club would that be? What academy would it be?
3: <laughs> Why, are Why are you whispering? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, um, not, not, not
2: obviously. I know you're tired. You're tired with Chelsea and everything. You work for Chelsea, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of as learning as a coach, getting to your goal. Like, if you could spend a day at an academy, mm. um, we have got,
1: and I'm being honest, our academy is second to none. Second to none in the, in a sense of how well we develop players, mm. um, our work ethic as a as a group of staff, mm. um, and the proof is in the players that we've brought through. Mm. But of course, I'd want to have a look at Barcelona, mm. um, and then there are a number of other clubs who have really good programs Ajax. and who, who who develop players. Mm. You know, Ajax are mm. Ajax are powerful. Mm. So I- Ajax being one, mm-hmm. Barcelona being one. Um, when we've played teams that are abroad, uh, Borussia Dortmund are really, really mm. good. Um, nice. Uh, Anderlecht, another really, really good club. So um, I'd want to visit probably any of those, mm. uh, if, if I'm honest. Yeah. And there's, a, there's, there's definitely a few more academies that we've yeah, played yeah. against that are really good. PSG are also good. I won't say they're, they're as good as the ones that I've mentioned. But in terms of style of play, those four clubs that we've played against. Real Madrid had a really good um, youth team as well. Porto, another one, really good. So uh, I've played against some incredible academies Mm. and I would love to visit any of those.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, just before we close, um, what advice would you give you think that clubs should
1: um, hire um, mentors? Okay, I'll start with the last one. <laughs> so my official title, um, I work full-time at Chelsea and I am the lead coach for the, for the under-14s and I work in the player care department, so assistant player care. Yeah, assistant player care, or player care assistant, sorry. Um, and that player care assistant role is pretty much a mentor position, um, mm. where I support the players off the pitch. Um, we look after all the full-time players. There's three of us in our department, so all the players that live away from home, mm-hmm. naturally, we, we're partly responsible for in terms of supporting them. Where they go to people. So if a player is struggling, needs a chat, um, needs support, etc., mm. we are that person. And a lot of clubs are doing that now, or mm-hmm. well, a lot of clubs. I think it's a uh, it's a requirement now for all the Cat One clubs mm. and Cat Two and Cat Three mm. clubs are starting to take on that, mm-hmm. t- t- take on those, take on those roles. And um, that sometimes looks a bit different in each club. Might not be called player care, mm. could be player liaison, mm. player support officer, whatever it is. So that role is is at a lot of clubs. Mm. Um, and if you look online, you might find some of those roles. Some of those roles, but it's probably titled player care. So have a look at it. Um, advice be honest with yourself, are you a good footballer? <laughs> I think that's, that's paramount. But then also, there are different roles in football. You don't have to play football. Yeah. You can coach football. You can become a strength and conditioner, mm. which is really sought after, mm-hmm. which people don't probably realise. You can be a physio. Um, you can be a movement coach. You could be a football analyst. Um, you can work in recruitment, and there are different areas of recruitment. So sometimes because you have a passion and a love for the game you don't have to play the game to be involved in it there are loads of different roles opportunities and that's what people probably don't know enough about Mm. um you know my brother toby is he's working on a project of trying to he's running an organization called football everything Mm -hmm. um and they're trying to he's trying to have a look at or explore the different opportunities in football. Mm. So when people ask the question, oh, can I make it, how do I make it? Mm. Sometimes you're not gonna make it mm. and that's okay, but there are other areas that you can explore so that you haven't made it onto the field of play, but, still... but you support yeah. the players on the field of play mm. and you're still fulfilling your ambition. And that's probably what people aren't aware of. That's powerful. Um, so are you good enough? Mm. And if you're not, that's fine. You just need to find another area that you can exploit and capitalize on. Um, and then if you are good enough, you have to ensure that you've got the right mindset because you know these are life skills. You have to have the right mindset in anything that you want to do, you have to have the right ethic again of anything that you want to do. And you have to be willing to make sacrifices in order to get to where you want to be. Mm.
2: Listen, that's, yeah, that's not just for so the two that, boys here, but also yeah, anyone that's listening. So, I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. But these are life skills for me. Yeah. I, I, this this could be if you wanted to be an investment banker. Mm.
2: You
1: know, Do you have the skill sets to do so? And if you do, you're going to have to make the same sacrifices. You have to have the mindset. And you have to be willing to do what others aren't, you mm. know, to get to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. So th- these are all transferable skills. And those are the things that I learned whilst being at university, playing football, And now I'm coaching, I've just transferred all the skills and values that I've had Mm. into my football environment because I have a skill and a passion for football Mm. and developing people and working with people. How
0: important is it to have um, the right attitude just in football so these young ones can know? Because when I try to tell them that, especially someone like me who didn't Mm. necessarily have the right attitude in football. Um, just that like, emphasize on how much it is to have like the right attitude mm. in like, football if you're going to go on trial and stuff like that how, how important it is to conduct yourself as a newbie or mm. just trying to work
1: your way up ignorance and pride is expensive <laughs> it's expensive because the moment that people tell you you're not good enough or people push you to the side That hurts, Mm. and often you have your guard up, Mm. and you have to ensure that you approach every opportunity with humility. And when people give you information, of course there are some people who talk rubbish, like you're gonna you're gonna get that. But then there are those who have played the game, and even if they haven't played the game, sometimes they can see things that you can't. So it's important to listen to people's opinions um, and listen to their observations. Not saying. You always have to act on what you've heard, but it's important to at least express the humility to listen to it. And if people are right, more often than not, you will know they're right because you're convicted in your heart. But you put up this guard anyway. And as I say, these are life skills. You know, when you're told something that you don't really want to hear, but you know it's true, true. straight away your guard comes up. But at that point, you have to say to yourself, Take a breather, relax, and try to listen. Don't harden your heart, and then hopefully you can find it in yourself to
2: almost act on maybe what that person has said. Wow. That's that's a big that's a big answer. Um, well, yeah, I guess this is the end of the podcast. I I do have to really really uh, thank Hassan for coming to the show. Like it wasn't just from a coaching perspective you gave you gave us like a lot of life skills a lot of life tips and gems not just for the young people for even for myself and i'm sure the other gentlemen in the room as well so yeah thank you very much wow, no problem pleasure uh yeah you guys. this qualms obviously i've got hassan with me malachi shay everyone in the building thank you very much thanks for listening this is the back page Make sure you follow us and all of that stuff.